It's time for another edition of the Baseball Talk Radio Show with Rich Baxter and Gary Mack talking baseball. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Baseball Talk Radio Show. I'm Gary Mack and I'm joined as always by the wonderful, the terrific, the talented Mr. Rich Baxter. Rich, how are you? Doing great, Gary. How are you doing this Sunday, January 29th, the last Sunday in January? Hey, I just read it, quote the other day, 59 days to opening day now. Ah, that's it's not closer than that. You sure? I think I read it was 59 days, but (laughs) I could be wrong. Yeah, because it's March. March 30th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe they meant till the game started or something. I I've got twenty two, but I could be wrong. But <laughs> well, maybe till spring we'll training. I'm talking opening day. <laughs> oh, opening day, opening day. That's right. I'm thinking of pitches and catches. I'm all confused. <laughs> that's all right. You're happy anyway. I know that. That's right, and I know you're happy because your Eagles are playing today in the big championship game. Uh, facing those 49ers, and then they'll go on to face the winner of the Chiefs. And uh, uh, don't tell me, who did they beat? Uh, oh, who the Chiefs right. playing? Bengals. The Bengals. The Bengals. The Bengals. Thank you. Yeah. I was rooting for the Bills, so uh, they lost, yeah. but that's per, par of the course. But, Rich, you've got something, <laughs> to, <laughs> you've got something to announce today. Yes, I do. Um, we have a special guest on with us today, uh, Jim Bentoncourt from Baseball Rules in Black and White. He's going to talk to us about his website, his great app that he has, and his uh, history of uh, being an umpire in the game, and hopefully uh, teach us a little bit about the upcoming rules. How you doing, Jim? Very good, Rich. Very good. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your app and your website and how it all began? Absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, I have an app, Baseball Rules and Black and White, you said. It's uh, a simplified version of rule books. We simplified the language. Um, basically, it began because I was, I've umpired for over 20 years, and uh, after about... 15, 16 years, I became a little bit um, upset with myself because I didn't understand the rules the way that I should have as an umpire on the field. I looked like an umpire. I had the hat on. I was respected by the fans and the teams and the coaches as being a good umpire. But in reality, in the back of my mind, I had questions about uh, the more complicated infractions and applying the appropriate uh, uh, penalties um, to them or awards. And so what I did was I went into, actually broke down each of the most difficult worded rulings in the rule book and took the time to actually go word by word, line by line and break it out and put it in a um, terminology, uh, convert it into a terminology that I could understand, simplify it. And I began doing that and started out like with rules like uh, batting out of order, uh, batter's interference. Um, They're very wordy and difficult to process. Um, 
and I converted it into a much more condensed and easy to understand version. And that then after I began doing that, because I was doing it for myself originally, I'd go onto the field and all of a sudden I'm out there now as a new umpire or kind of a reborn, so to speak. And uh, I wasn't no, I wasn't um, thinking about what happens if this infraction takes place or did, did or trying to recognize one. I began to recognize them easier. Um, I was out there thinking about my timing, about my field mechanics, being in the proper place. And I could work on other just as important things on the field as an umpire and get better at that instead of having these questions in the back of my mind. So that's how it started out. As it ended up, <laughs> I then went to the rules that maybe weren't quite as complicated, but I had a, a little bit more difficulty pulling them up or uh, processing them, get, getting them quickly into my mind. And so I simplified that language as well. Well, I ended up with a man manuscript um, and with the manuscript, what do you do? You make a book, right? So uh, I thought, well, hell, if this was ha helping me uh, as an umpire on the field, I knew there was a lot of other guys that's been around in baseball just as long as I had, had been out there on the field just as long as I had, was having the same problems with the language. So I um, self-published and uh, first book was high school and the second year, published a uh, college version, Baseball Rules in Black and White. And uh, after, after the first book we published, we went down to Anaheim to the coaches convention down there, 5,000 coaches. And they all loved the, the first version we came out with. And we had a table of contents in the front, made it easy to find what you were looking for. Basically took everything that the rule book isn't, and we just did the opposite. We didn't put it in tiny font in the back, the information in an index where you got to look up a rule number. We had a table contents in the front page number and much easier to find in alphabetical order. So uh, coaches loved it. But the first question they asked was, do you have an app? And um, at that time we did not. So approximately three years later, we acquired investors and uh, put together the app and uh, took the converted manuscripts and put them into the app, um, added the, a youth rule set, which contains all the little league uh, rules in black and white. Um, pretty comprehensive. The pro set, uh, the app has high school, little league, college, and pro. Um, and the pro set is in Japanese, Spanish, and Chinese uh, for our international uh, baseball lovers world <laughs> and uh, it's been pretty popular we haven't uh, we don't have a million downloads yet uh, mm -hmm. we have uh, 12,000 at this time and we're growing uh, and uh, everybody has it on their phone loves it because of the fact that um, game day most people really a lot of people don't have the book available they don't have it in their bag they don't have it it's rule books end up everywhere uh, this is on your phone and everybody can have it before the game or after the game. So that's kind of the, the story about the app. Well, uh, Jim, now with uh, the uh, 
changes that are coming about in Major League Baseball, we know how uh, Rob Manfred likes to screw around with the game. Uh, how does that affect uh, you and, and the app? Of course, you have to keep on top of it. But uh, how does that affect everything? And, and, and what's your feelings on these rules as an umpire, especially with the uh, robo-ump and, uh, you know, other crazy things coming in? What's your feelings about all of that? Well, that's a kind of a two questions there. And I'll yeah. start with, uh, <laughs> with, with the uh, app, with the app and the rule changes. We have the ability to 24 uh, seven amend and change the app. We got a called a content management system out of Germany, graphs CMS, and we can go in there and uh, delete men and make these rule changes in real time. So actually, if you go to the app now, baseball rules in black and white, it's free to own. Oh, I didn't mention this is free to download. So it, it, it only makes sense for any umpire to have this on their phone as a reference. And uh, we've already uh, amended the uh, new uh, pitching stance, uh, pitching stance uh, set for the, uh, uh, rules in high school, they've been amended and changed it to be these current rule changes. So that's the answer to that. And as far as um, the changes that they've done to the um, umpire world, rule world, uh, regarding robo, specifically about the robo call, um, it's something that eventually Unfortunately, down the road, it's going to become part of the game more than we want it to be. It's already injected. There's a lot of problems associated with it. Um, it's something that, uh, from what my understanding is, uh, when I spoke with Jerry Davis about this, he indicated that uh, it's basically a lot to do with MLB and the gaming world and they want to work towards eliminating any type of potential um, human element factors coming in and balls and strikes being maybe called a direction that um, maybe isn't correct, maybe would seem biased, um, maybe would change a somebody who made a bet, change it directly to where they lose instead of win. And that's kind of an element behind behind the stage of what's going on, uh, is what's pushing that robo um, behind the plate. Yeah, that's interesting. It seems like baseball and gambling are getting closer and closer in relationships, um, and that's kind of a shame, really, um, to drive the game like that, to have an industry pushing the game, so to speak. If it's for doing the right thing that's one thing but you know a, a gambling i don't know how you feel about it uh jim but you know baseball should be number one not having uh you know influences by betting and things like that but unfortunately that's become part of the game as well yeah that's i i agree i i, I don't know how well i like it um but what I would say is this, it is something that is 
betting and gambling is introducing itself into every sport. Um, when you watch football anymore, you turn on the set and there's uh, 30 commercials about FanDuel or some other betting agency, betting kings, and it's just uh, everything is they're they're working hand in hand in sports, major league sports, and uh, I think I don't think it's I think the genie's out of the bottle. I don't think any sport is going to be protected from it. I think. It's uh, something that because of the, it's a business and uh, any business looks for any way to make more revenue. And this is, I think for the owners of MLB, they're looking at this revenue stream and going, we can't walk away from it. So um, it, it, and it impacts every, every component of the game. I mean, um, who knows what players bet heavily who knows what umpires bet heavily. That's another issue that, you know, um, is leaves the fans with the questions in the back of their mind. How legit is this game now? Is it tainted? I mean, it's, it's reasonable questions to ask, uh, but I mean, in all likelihood, the majority, all the players are straight up majority, all the umpires are straight up. But uh, again, there's always that question in the back of your mind when that call goes against you, it really becomes a right to the forefront. Hey, wait a minute. That He missed that call. Why, why did he miss it this time and got it last time? Exactly. Um, yeah. There's four major rule changes in 23 coming up here. Um, what would be your favorite one? I, I'll read them off here. Pitch timer, pickoff limit defensive shift restrictions, and bigger bases. What would be your favorite one out of those four, Jim? And it's tough to have a favorite as an umpire, right? And uh, what, what, I, what I did do was I put together a, uh, the high school rule changes uh, for high school umpires. So NFHS, they have, uh, there was, I think there was four altogether. And um, the pitching stance is uh, definitely um, changed to be more uh, parallel with NCAA and MLB. Uh, before in high school, they've always relied on uh, both feet determining what position they were in, either set or wind up. Only two, two positions, but both feet were used, the non-pivot and the pivot. Well, now they've changed it to where umpires determine what pitching stance the pitcher's in only by determined by the set foot. So when he's in, you'll know he's in the set position when he's, he's in contact with the pitcher's plate um, and or he is parallel with uh, and directly in contact with the pitcher's plate. So he can have his foot parallel with it and directly in contact with it, or just make contact with it. At that point, you, he's de you're determined that he is in the set position. Now the language they use, back to the, what I was saying earlier, the language they use for the windup, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't really clarify it that crystallize what the difference is between the set and the windup. And what it says is, 
they're in the windup position when the pivot foot is in contact and not parallel with the pitcher's plate. So the language is half of it's identical to the set in contact with. So that doesn't tell you anything when they're in contact with, basically, other than the fact that you know they're in the set, but what determines when they're in the windup shouldn't just say, and not parallel with the pitcher's plate, but their pivot foot has to be perpendicular to the pitcher's plate, a 90 degree. So the pitcher's plate runs left to uh, east to west, their foot's got to be north to south. So it's, um, again, while they make these rule changes, the language stays as difficult to clarify and process. They want to make rule changes, but they don't want to change the language and make it easier for everybody to understand. And I think that's a real, uh, real um, minus for the rule book and trying to get people to process it correctly. Um, also in high school, they went to, they changed the lodge ball, what defines a lodge ball, a, lo uh, a live ball uh, that gets wedged, trapped, uh, can't reach it, um, is uh, defined, what the, actually what it says is when a ball remains on the playing field and becomes wedged, stuck, lost, or unreachable, and causing it to stop abruptly, not fall or roll immediately. So basically it goes in and it's there. Uh, that is what the definition of a large ball is. And the reason why this, that makes sense completely, but what they used to not clarify was the exception in this rule. A ball lodged in a fielder's glove remains in play. Mm -hmm. So that player who's trying to field the ball and that ball gets stuck in his glove used to be considered a lodged ball. Now they spell that out finally, and that's nice that they clarify. And that the players, when the ball gets stuck in his glove, that isn't a lodged ball, only on the playing field when the ball is in live play. Yeah. Um, How about the pro, yeah. the pro rules? Um, You're right. Your favorite uh, rule change for 23 pitch timer, pickoff limit, defensive shift, or bigger bases? What would your favorite pick off change limit. be? Okay. Pickoff limit. Any, anything that can make the game quicker, go a little bit quicker, faster, pickoff limit would be my choice. I mean, I, I fall asleep in between drinking my beer and watching the game when there's 10 pickoff plays at first base. I, I just – there and there's no sense to it. Um, you'll catch a, they'll be throwing back to first base and the, the guy, the runner is one step from the bag. It mm -hmm. makes no sense. It's just something that the pitchers get in a habit doing and they'll do it repetitively as long as they can. And so, uh, limiting that pickoff move to first definitely is the most beneficial to keeping umpires awake on the field and, uh, not becoming complacent. They haven't. Uh, uh, I don't know if they approved it for this year yet, but the extra inning rule of putting a runner on second base, which personally I think is the most stupidest thing I ever heard of in my life. Uh, but uh, what's your thoughts on that? And you touched on 
a little bit about where we can go from here, but wh- where do you think, I mean, wh- what is next in the game? Do we put sensors in the bases or uh, so they can tell, you know, and, and in the gloves perhaps to see who got there first to a base? Uh, do we put some sort of sensors in the uniforms to, or, or will the robo ump be enough? Uh you know, where do you, is is technology going to take over everything in in baseball? Um, technology is part of our life in this world today. I mean, it's we're all uh, use something that uh, technology brings to us, and uh, baseball is no exception. Um, I don't. I don't want to say nothing isn't going to happen. <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> if there's a potential that somebody comes up with a base that has a sensor in it that can uh, process the time at which uh, the player makes contact with it, that that person is going to develop that product and they will be pushing it. So anything is possible. Um, but I think the more we get away the more we get away from the game itself and the more we rely on this technology, um, particularly uh, when they go to reviews, um, it's something that uh, I think it actually doesn't do the game a favor. I, I believe the 180 games scheduled throughout the year uh, is adversely affected by it. I think that the fans are tired of it. Um, I would think that uh, regular season play, if I had my choice, I'd, I'd say we'd, we're not doing instant replay on those games. Regular season games, play them as they are. They're, everybody's on an equal stage. Nobody's, uh, they get plays missed both ways um, in regular season. And the fans don't have to sit there for 20 minutes. I, it's it's horrible. I actually. We've, we've all watched where they've gone to replay. And I mean, it's just a consensus straight across that this is what the call is. And then the umpires talk, they go to the, go to the recall. Then they go back to the field and talk. Then they bring in both coaches and then they make a, they end up making a call that a lot of us just completely still disagree with. Nothing gets resolved in this. It just adds to the aggravation of the purists in baseball and just the novice in baseball. I think they'd be much better off if they just stuck with playoffs and championship games and the world series there. I can see it. Right. Mm -hmm. If it's Mm -hmm. comes down to getting every call right to the split second and uh, the powers to be making that decision, if that's what they want to do fine, but stay out of the regular season play. It doesn't do anybody any service. It discredits the umpires on the field, basically. Also, I mean, I'm not, if I want to get every call right, I can, okay? Now, I work lower levels, high school, uh, college, fall ball, season ball. Um, We don't have instant replay. And guess what? Everybody's out there having fun, enjoying the game. Somebody wins and somebody loses. Right. And that's, that's the very and that's what's taking place in the pros still. 
Somebody unless wins. Your name, <laughs> unless yeah. your name's Angel Hernandez, of course. But we all love oh the God. way he <laughs> calls a game. But uh, right. you know, he's he's uh, one of the poster childs for um, you know <laughs> umpires and robo umps. Right. Yeah. He. <laughs> it's something that uh, I know he causes a, <laughs> a tremendous amount of frustration oh, for. Fans of all around the league. Um, I will say this: he does. It's, it appears a lot of calls could go either way with Angel. That's for darn sure. Um, I mean, it's code with us umpires. We don't criticize a another umpire uh, simply because I'm out there, and the next day I go out, I could kick the same call, um, and as anybody could. It's something that until you're in that position and in that um, split second time that you have to, to make a call, and anybody would be challenged to um, get it correct, especially bang bangers. And usually with bang bangers, when you get the first one and you make the call and the fans don't like it, and then you have a follow-up bang banger, and you make a call, you you can't win because you've already set, um, you've already ticked off half the fans. And so uh, when the next call comes up and it's a close one, again, half the fans don't like you. So it's something that um, I feel, I've felt Angel's pain before. I know what he goes through. And at his level and the speed that they play up there at the MLB, there's not a fan watching a game could go put on his shoes and walk on the field. Now, that said, have I watched games where I went, oh, my God, how did he make that call? Absolutely. But guess what? He's where he's at because he's a major league umpire, and he gets quite a few calls. I would say the majority, large majority of all his calls are correct. But that said, that's where it's controversy, and uh, it's something as fans we have to kind of step back. I would recommend fans and fellow umpires step back and just put yourselves in their shoes at the speeds that he's making calls. It's very difficult. Very good. Well, James Betancourt from Baseball Rules and Black and White, the app and the website on uh Thank you for joining us today from Northern California. You're rooting for the 49ers against the Eagles, but um, let's see who wins at the end of the day. Thank you yes, for joining absolutely. us. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I think it's going to be, uh, if last week with the Cowboys is any tell, we're going to have a hell of a defensive game today. Yeah, it's going to be good. Uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, that one kicks off a little bit. About three and a half hours away, but thank you for joining us today. And uh, maybe we'll have you come back during the season. I know there's going to be some rules and things like that to discuss. So uh, we, we're going to invite you back early. Sounds good, Rich. I appreciate that. Uh, uh, thank you for that invitation. <laughs> thank you. All right. That was Jim Betancourt uh, joining us live from Northern California, talking baseball rules and his website, a wonderful app there. 
Gary, I'm going to tune into that uh, throughout the year because I need some refresher on all these rules. I love uh, going to the bookstore. One of the things I do each year is buy the official rules uh, of the MLB if I can find it. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's an interesting uh, thing, and and uh, of course, uh, as uh, Jim got to that, it's very difficult and uh, a lot of stuff to remember. And uh, they do have a split. It's a tough job. Uh, you know, I've done it on uh, years and years ago on Little League uh, level. And, boy, even then, the people, they get on your case. So you can oh, yeah. imagine how it is as you progress up to different levels and uh, get more involved in the game. And, and uh, it's, it's just tough. And there's so many little things that can go wrong. Yeah. Uh, though, though, you know, sometimes I think even in life, we, we should simplify everything. Uh, and you know, it's, it's not too an easy, complicated. It's not an easy thing. You got the betting world. Uh, you make a bet on a player, just say, for example, uh, to get a hit, which I did in the World Series. Uh, it was plain that this player got a hit, so I would win my bet. Well, I went over to the window after he got the hit to collect. And they said, oh, you have to wait till about a half hour after the game's official to collect your bet. I said, well, he already got a hit. You know, what What could there be unofficial about that? But that's the way, you know, things are in the betting world. Uh, everything is an official, you know. Maybe there's a changed call. Maybe they're going to call it an error and it's not a hit, you know. you. Uh, there's always little nuances and gray areas, and the the rule books will follow that and uh, become uh, part of it, so to speak. So it was great to have Jim on. And uh, a controversy we had a little bit, minor controversy, this past week in baseball was the election to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, we oh had boy. one player go in. One player and a lot of controversy with that player. Uh Personally, Scott Rowland's not a Hall of Famer in my in my uh, opinion. Yeah, uh, I you know I'm sorry. I don't think uh, that uh, he belongs there. He, you know, he's one of those guys that they talk about the Hall of Very Good, but is he in the Hall of Fame? No. Uh, it goes along with Alan Trammell and Harold Baines. Uh, don't think they should be there either, but. He got elected, so now he's in. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it it makes you question other players that aren't in. Uh, uh, Keith Hernandez, and I'm showing my New York uh, uh, Mets tendencies here, but Keith Hernandez revolutionized the game, game at first base. Uh, 11 gold glove awards, 296, I think, career average. You know, his numbers match up with a lot of these guys, and yet uh, no love shown towards him. It's just, I don't know. It just, it, it's almost like some of these guys are voting to put people in instead of voting for people that deserve to be in. You know, I, I have a, a problem with uh, Billy Wagner. Um, I, I don't understand that. And, uh, and I've said this before, I think, on this show as well as on uh, Mets Musings. But he is second place in the all-time 
uh, uh, relief, uh, left-handed saves, left-handed, uh, left-hand relievers with the uh, saves. He is second to mm-hmm. John Franco. Yet John Franco got like I don't know six, seven percent of the vote. Billy Wagner could go into the Hall of Fame. How do you put in number two and not number one? That I don't understand either. And both of them played for the Mets, so it's not about a Mets thing. Definitely, that's with that those two. But I don't understand that either. How can you put one in the number two guy in, but you can't put the number one guy in? And you know. You brought up a great point with all the betting and everything. Um, how do you keep Pete Rose out of the Hall of Fame? I mean, you know, uh, they're they're actually in partnership with betting uh, parlors, you might say, uh, now. So I, I don't know how you do that. It's very confusing the way Major League Baseball is going to me. Yeah, and back to rolling uh, 17 years in the majors, and that's part of getting into the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. If you're on the borderline or below the borderline, you got to have 17, 18, 20 years into the game because you're going to accumulate stats. I've heard a lot of people citing stats. Oh, he had uh, 1,287 RBIs, 316 home runs. You're going to accumulate stats over 17 years. That's why, that's the way this game is. Um, and he was a good player, but like you said, a very good player. But I really don't think he was a Hall of Famer either. He was in Philadelphia for seven years, went over to uh, St. Louis for six, and then Cincinnati before ending his career in Toronto. But, you know, in Philly and the Cardinals, his tenure there ended poorly for whatever reason. And um, that's not why I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but I just never really considered him a Hall of Famer. And the Phillies have a wall of fame at the stadium in Philadelphia, and they never put him up on the Wall of Fame, even though now they probably will. (laughs) Now they will, because he's in the Wall of Fame. And, you know, the media and the PR uh, letters come right out after you're elected to the Hall of Fame. Oh, congratulations, you were one of the best in the game. Well, you know, if you were one of the best in the game, why didn't the Phillies have him on the Wall of Fame already? You know why? Because they didn't think he was one of the best in the game prior to this. Obviously, I mean, there's there's been many years where they could have had him on their wall of fame, but for whatever reason, did not. So yeah. uh, Scott Rowland into the Hall of Fame. I know my co-host on Phillies Talk podcast, which I do, is a big fan of Scott Rowland, and I think that's great. You know, for people that really like a player, I have some favorite players of mine that I'd love to see do well anytime. So I'm happy for those people that like Scott Rowland and that, you know, think he should have gotten in. There's a lot more that think he shouldn't have got in, but you know, the hall of fame is not a perfect uh, place as we know. Uh, But did you know, Gary did a little research here this morning uh, on this day back (laughs) in 1936, the National Baseball Hall of Fame elected its first members to the Hall of Fame. And that's quite a list of uh, 
players there. Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, uh, amongst others. So the first that's class a of fame. <laughs> the first class was was phenomenal. Walter Johnson, Christy Matheson, Honus Wagner. These these guys were like cornerstones of baseball. And it all happened on January 29th, 1936, the first class into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, and as you said, that I mean, uh, you know, that's some class there. That's that's the cream of the crop. And that's what they we all should be aiming for when they vote for these guys. I don't see Scott Rowland in that role. Now, maybe, maybe... Uh, We've immortalized these guys so much that, uh, you know, it, it's hard to uh, to compare to legends. You know, we've made them legendary. We didn't see them all play um, and uh, heard the stories. But even if you look at some of their stats, though, they're so much above the rest, uh, you know, and and. Uh, you know, you brought up an interesting point before about compilers and playing a number of years. And I think you hit it right on the head, the nail right on the head there. If you play 17 years, you're going to compile numbers. It just happens. It's going to happen. I remember when they got after Don Sutton and uh, other players and said, well, he hung around and he compiled. Well, the only way he hung around was he must have been pitching well enough that some team wanted him. And, and you know, he was a compiler. But, I, you know, you could say, and this is going to be blasphemous, but you could say that, that Henry Aaron was a, a compiler, you know? He played, what, 20 years or something? I mean, I you know, who's not a compiler? If, if, if you play that long at a, at a certain level you're compiling numbers and and naturally if if you've reached a certain level you know it's hard to say goodbye and and look at the hall of fame willie may stayed maybe a year or two too long uh you know everybody does and that doesn't mean they're compiling numbers for the hall of fame it just means that they love the game and they don't want to give it up and some guys, well, yes. I mean, look, if you're a Don Sutton and you're eight games away from winning 300 games, you're going to try to hang on and and get those eight games to get the 300. It's just a, it was a milestone way back. Nowadays, not so much. You know, if you hit 200, 225, that's considered. You know, at, that's the new 300 because they just, in those days, it was three and four-man rotations. They didn't have a five-man rotation, so you pitched a lot more. Uh, they just pitched longer innings in the old days. So it, it it's a tough call, but uh, I really believe that some of these guys now are just electing uh, or voting for people just so there's somebody to go into the Hall of Fame, and that's not the way it should be. If you, if nobody's qualified, they shouldn't be in there. That's true. So we'll have to um, see for next year's election to the Baseball Hall of Fame, see what happens there. And, of course, that's not the only way you can get in, uh, being elected by the baseball writers. There's other avenues into the Hall as well. But 
you know, that was this vote for this year. And, Gary, a little more controversy uh, around baseball this year and other sports. Uh, Bally Sports Network, uh, regional sports network, supposedly going towards bankruptcy. And it will have an adverse impact on a number of MLB teams, uh, hockey teams, basketball teams, the whole nine yards. These big regional sports networks that popped up and were sold and resold. And now all of a sudden it's time to pay the piper because apparently the revenues aren't coming in uh, for the advertising like they thought. And uh, all those millions and billions of dollars they were given teams all of a sudden is drying up. So um, I was very curious when I saw Bally Sports Network because it's, again, integrated into the gambling theme. And uh, if you know anything about gambling, I'm from the Atlantic City area, you'll know that you know some of these gambling establishments aren't as solid as you think they are either. They'll go bankrupt from time to time. Uh, even though they're taking in millions of dollars. But uh, this is a wake-up call for sports, I think, in general, Gary, with all these billions of dollars and, you know, $400 million contracts they're awarding. I think there's an end game to that with with somehow. Uh, you know, the fans aren't going to carry the load, that's for sure. And uh, someday it's gonna, all going to come crashing in, and I think this is the first step of that. Well, there'll be somebody else that comes along and, and, uh, you know, some other new thing, uh, you know, it just amazes me though, how, uh, the commercials now with the, uh, uh, you know, um, like DraftKings and there's so many different ones now, um, that it, it you know it's got to run out at some point and Bally's uh was across you know if you watch MLB uh TV and you get somebody out of town games you'll see a lot of them will say we're on the Bally Sports Network and first I was like what are they talking about and there were quite a few uh, teams that were con connected to that network um and now you know it, it's a big revenue loss so, but I think it was something like $55 billion that they put out. So that's a big loss for a lot of these teams. Uh, and you've got an article up there about the Braves and how it's going to affect them. But uh, that's a good thing for us, Rick. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, the but, Braves, uh, the Cardinals, a uh, long list of teams uh, affected by this. And as you said, yeah, $55 billion dollars. Uh, a lot of money. I'm trying to read through this because I really didn't read into it too much prior to this weekend. But uh, apparently, yeah, it's it, all that money is drying up from sponsors and things like that. And, you know, it's just not all that they said it was going to be. So, yeah, that affects it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt some of the teams now. My team, I don't think it's not going to hurt because he's pretty much he's loaded. The guy that the owns the Mets, so he's in good shape. But you know, it's going to hurt some of these teams that relied so much upon it. But um, and know, of we'll course, see. of course, that was originally the Fox Sport 
Arts Network, which was uh, sold and acquired by, I believe, Disney, and then it got spun off to Bally Sports, but uh, a wicked web that's, it weaves. And that's part of the problem, too. These, these uh, you know, they leverage themselves so much to get these things, and and they think it's going to be a moneymaker, and, and uh, maybe it is for a while, and then it kind of falls to the wayside, or the other part of the business falls apart you know years ago businesses used to you know it's gone on for ages of course conglomerates uh, buying each other but you know you can get crazy with it too i mean let businesses own themselves you know this this uh thing a business gets successful somebody buys it out well i you know i, I don't know i don't know what the end is to it uh, but I don't think it's helping the country and I don't think it's helping sports and, but we'll see how this all shakes out when they go bankrupt. That's for sure. We'll have to uh, report on this as it becomes available and see what happens. But uh, that being said, I'm getting excited about spring training, Gary, I guess you are too, just right around the corner, a couple of weeks till that happens uh, right around uh Valentine's Day is when that kicks off. So, um, really excited about it. It's right around the corner here. We're on the doorstep of spring training. Yeah, and I'm glad you corrected me. I didn't hear you right. You did say opening day, and and I thought uh, <laughs> I thought you meant spring training. So I apologize for that. <laughs> no problem. Well, we. Uh, Talked with James Betancourt today from Baseball Rules in Black and White. Want to thank him again for joining us. Uh, check his app out on both uh, Google Play and Apple apps there. And, of course, his website at BaseballRulesInBlackAndWhite.com. And, uh, Gary, do you have anything else before we bring the curtains down on this show for January 29th? No, Rich, I think that's it. I think we covered it all. Yes, we did. So um, we'll be talking more about spring training, uh, where it's going to open at. We'll talk. Uh, we'll talk a little spring training homes. Uh, we'll go down the list of different teams, update listeners where they are uh, for this year, Florida, Arizona, all that stuff, and we'll do a little report on that. And um, can't wait for the next show already, Gary. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it, Rich, as always. All right. Well, you have a great week, everyone. We'll talk to you next week on the Baseball Talk Radio Show.